Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today is an enlightening day because I am being haunted by my own reflection. I'll explain in a minute. First thing I want you to know is you can stay to the very end of the show for stories from the road. (laughs) But you'll already be there because I'm actually doing today's whole show as a story from the road or a story from the past. Stories from the past. (laughs) Brought to the present. Okay, so let me explain. And on the great guest giveaway, I am in the middle, uh, not the middle, actually. I'm at the end point of my second series of five episodes for the second family that I helped with Fix It in Five. My goodness, who knew it was going to be this much work? We did the shoot years ago. But anyway, um, I will give the first person to, to email me at mom number four evermore at juno.com. I will give the first person to put me please in the subject line um, a code that they'll be able to watch that first episode as soon as it goes up. They'll have to sit on the code because the episode's not quite ready. We're going into studio next week for music. Yay! So exciting. Finally, we're at the music part. Um, Once the music bed is in and and the sound is done, it's just sort of like finishing touches, and then we shoot it on over to the Autism Channel. If you don't have that, then try and send me that email so that you can get the code and watch it as soon as I put it on Vimeo. In the meantime... I want to talk to you about something that making this show has has brought into my awareness. So um, one of the things that I do in Fix It In 5 is I really, the title is just to grab attention. We don't fix autism, of course. We fix the relationship issues that are in the home, at least during my stay and hopefully on out into the rest of their lives and then help the brain to function more optimally with neurofeedback. And that really does happen, and it is really eye-opening and amazing. And my motivator for making this show, even though it means I sleep on a mattress on the floor and I have a car with no back window, and right, because I'm putting all my money into that, my motivator for doing this show is that I spent so much time out in the world seeing that some people wanted the neurofeedback to be all there was. They just wanted the neurofeedback to fix the brain of the child. And other people wanted the play, the tangible piece they could understand, the play and the responding to be all it took. And so they wouldn't want the neurofeedback. And what I had discovered was it was the cocktail that was like magic. But magic in relation to your situation, your child, your, your goals, your, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, for example, 
magic for my one son was he does a session and he goes, wow, I feel better. I've just come back from Iraq. You know, he has sleep disorder and PTSD from what happened in Iraq and he feels better in one day, but he has to do two sessions a day for like 10 days. And then his sleep is all returned and he doesn't have PTSD because I got on it so quickly. So it can be magical if it's used immediately on something traumatic, physical or emotional. But if you're looking at something genetic and, and a, you know, a disorder that's degenerative, or all these different kinds of things that happen with the brain, then you're looking at continued sessions or longer-term change, but over a long, longer-term therapeutic approach with the neurofeedback. So the word miracle is very much a, you know, it's a relative statement. Miraculous means so much more is possible than I thought, and I have the ability to do it. That's what it means to me. So I found a miracle in play combined with neurofeedback. And it was frustrating, so frustrating to go into the world and constantly be teaching the same things over and over again that, that no, 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 it is possible. Yes, 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 your child does understand, absolutely knows what you're saying. And all these things that are mythologically taught to parents of autism, I was constantly one person at a time trying to overturn. And because it was so overwhelming for families and teachers and and medical professionals to take on all of what I was saying, they would isolate a piece and want only that piece. But that disengages the miracle from happening. So... Here I am going, okay, I'm completely motivated to show people what's possible because I lived it, and I know what it was like for me, and I know the turmoil that I went through trying to find answers that would make it so that not my children popped out of the autism egg and, and you know, like a bird coming out of its shell, <laughs> No, so that I could enjoy them and so that we could do the dishes together and hang out and and there'd be joy passed everywhere and constant growth in teaching and not these meltdowns and this anxiety. So that was my goal. That was my intent. I am pulling it off at great expense, um, time-wise and money-wise and all that, but Part of this particular episode that I was shooting meant going and finding old footage. Now, normally when I go to find old footage, because people, I never had video cameras when the kids were little, but people always were interested in us, so they would take documentary footage of us. And, um, you know, that there were many documentaries made, actually, and one of the deals I, I made every time I would allow that is I get to have access to the footage and be allowed to use at least the finished product. So um, so we went through one of the older ones, and I am haunted today by the reflection of myself. It's an interesting thing, and, and this is why I want to make Fix It in Five for you guys to see, because it's, it's so different when I write in a book. I used to be uh, believe in or embrace the idea of being very stern and, and, and teach in this ABA fashion. And it's 
fine and you hear it, but you don't see it juxtaposed against who I am today. And neither do I. Right? I remember it internally. I remember what it felt like. But in the other times I've looked at bits of me in the documentary from the past, I've seen the difference, but the difference wasn't as stark. I hadn't changed as much. I hadn't refined my skills to the extent I have now, and I hadn't done all the neurofeedback. So cut to yesterday, and um, oh my gosh, (laughs) I was watching this footage of this beautiful young mom, short hair, which is unusual for me, so that was kind of cool. You know, she was just a lovely young mom with eight children (laughs) running around trying to keep control of everything and doing all the things I would teach to do now, except I would teach it with a smile on my face and a smile in my heart. And it just makes me want to cry that back then I didn't know that there was a way to do both. And that all you moms out there probably are are struggling with the same difficulty. And all you professionals that are doing ABA in the way that it's taught are struggling with the same difficulty. Yes, today I use sternness when necessary. If I think my son's going to do something that will make other people afraid and then he will have a hard time going forward in the rest of his day, I'll do it ever it takes to stop that moment and then take him aside and talk to him about it. The, you know, the, dar, don't do that, sit against the wall thing, is just so that he stabilizes. But immediately I follow with a beautiful smile and an explanation, as soon as there's a window. And because of that, I have this light heart, this beautiful joy with my grandkids, with my kids, And I'm willing to pull out the stern guns if I need to, but I hardly, hardly ever need to. So let me explain what that looks like, because I really want to pass this to you. It was really awful to see me as this young, gorgeous mom working so hard for everyone and hiding my laughs. Like literally, my one son, Rye, he was always so funny. Every time you would say something to him, like we were talking about one of the things the kids did to learn to walk to school on their own was they would um, be buddied together, and then they would have a, a tie from one wrist to the other with their buddy so that they couldn't, on impulse, just run out in the street as they, you know, the one more capable buddy's arm would sort of tug, and they'd go, oh, yeah, I'm walking. And so it was like a little sort of a brain cue. Um, And unfortunately, I was very poor, so very quickly we lost the ties and were using scarves and drew lots of negative attention from the neighbors, but it didn't change the fact that it worked. It was a good idea. And now I can actually back it up with the brain science. Before, I just was working on intuition. And back then, because I had to fight neighbors all the time and I had to fight uh, schools all the time, I'll use that as an example, and then we'll get back to the hiding of the smile. So back then, because I had to do that, I... um, you know, I got this sort of tough exterior that I never had when I was young. I, I was looking back at an old school book, and they used to call me, um, you know, bubbles and brightness. And, like, so apparently I was always kind of bright and shiny, and then I lost it. In the fight to protect my children by being the one doing the damage 
first. You hear that? So if I look strict when I'm on camera, if I look strict when I'm out in the world, you won't feel like you have to. Sounds like a good idea. Except my children's lived experience is that when we go out, they are unacceptable and must be controlled. If I could take anything back in my life, it would be that. Okay. So, so, but I'm still creative. I do get that they can grow and learn, and, and I'm in their corner, albeit with a stern face in public. So I, you know, I come up with this idea of them being tied. The neighbors all think it's awful. We, <laughs> I have CAS, CPS, if you're in, in America, at my door. I'm explaining it. And before you know it, my kids can walk independently to school. Kids that nobody would have thought could ever walk independently to school. Kids that should have been on a special ed bus forever. And would have been had I gone along with everybody protecting how they looked in public and putting them on a special ed bus, they never would have learned. So the ideas were sound. That's just an example of how the ideas were sound. So back to the stern face. So here we are. The cameras are there, you know, and um, we're having a family meeting. We did that every Sunday so I could organize the chore chart. You have eight kids get very organized. It's very not my norm, <laughs> by the way. I'm not a very organized person, but, um, but that worked well during those years. So every Sunday we would have uh, Sunday dinner and Sunday meeting and all this stuff would come up. It would be like a group therapy session for all these various challenged people. And um, I had this one son who was just so funny. Every time you asked something of him, his response was just a little bit different. And he had a lot of echolalia and strange presentation to the way he spoke. So, um, so it was even funnier. And I, I remember saying to him on camera, I'm like, well, do you want to, you know, do you want to be tied to your brother forever? Which, of course, on camera, by the way, sounds like, <laughs> sounds like abuse. You know, back then I didn't always think that I was going to be misinterpreted, so be very clear and say every word first. Um, but anyway, so there I was saying that on camera, and, uh, and my son just smiles big and says, yes, could I, could I? And I realized he was really enjoying this sort of forced attention from his brother. And also enjoying the ability to kind of torment his brother and pull at the at the scarf. By now, it was just a scarf, and uh, started out an official harness type thing, but ended up a scarf. Um, and you know, I was clearly about to laugh, and his sisters were about to laugh, and we all and this is what families do: we all turned our face and tried to keep the sternness in the moment. I'd love to go back and undo that because it was delightful. And eventually we lost control and laughed anyways. So it's all confusing. I should have just laughed and said, oh, so you think it's fun? And then gone down that rabbit hole with him and said, well, what's fun about it? But no, no, no. <laughs> I was teaching a lesson. So <laughs> apparently him knowing that he was adorable was not part of the lesson. And eventually, when we did laugh, it was more like he was being laughed at. And fortunately, he didn't know that. And he just liked that we laughed. But 
I watched that little piece of footage, and I watched another little piece of footage, and I'm going to use the other piece to teach you. With This is more my confession of how I'm being haunted by my own reflection. And um, I watched that, and I thought, oh, I saw so many missed opportunities. And all of those missed opportunities were based on incorrect thinking, and that incorrect thinking was based on one of two things, either incorrect teaching and information given to me or a need to fight the world and or together, sort of mixed together and all confused. And so there was lots in that um, documentary that I could now reshape, and it would be the difference between a happy life and an unhappy life. I'd still have autistic kids I was working with, right? Just like when I go and fix it in five and I go into a home. They still have an autistic child when I leave. But hopefully they have more joy. Well, they always do so far. They have more joy, more connection, and more understanding of the humanity of their person that they're trying so hard to love in the way they're being taught to love them and the way you're being taught to dehumanizing. Okay, so example for teaching. So here I am in the, in the documentary. My one higher on the spectrum, uh, globally retarded, I know everybody hates the term, but that was the medical diagnosis, globally retarded, um, autistic-like mannerisms. There was no spectrum at the time, so this is how he was diagnosed. Fetal alcohol syndrome. Remember, they're adopted. I didn't cause that. Okay, so... He also had abandonment and trauma. His, he'd been thrown against the wall, had a big uh, misshapen skull from it. So, you know, he had all that, and yet he was doing really well, a little dwarfism. Um, and the brother, who was still a very echolalic and also very small, um, classically autistic, classically. He was lucky enough to be adopted when he was a baby, so not a lot of trauma to him. A little, but not a lot. And um, and so he he was just you know the typical first he couldn't talk then he was he could he couldn't walk till he was two and a half but he could climb onto the top of things and jump out at you when you came in the room he was a complete uh, <laughs> a complete little whirling dervish and he um, he could do so many things that that did didn't make sense you know on the one hand he he can't walk on the other hand he can climb to the top of uh, the book stand so he was hilarious he was always moving really fast and making sound effects and he went from sound effects to echolalia to eventually having language so he's seven and he looks about four in this video because he was so undersized and um and of course, you know, because the world is so busy fighting each other, I had to constantly prove that they had short parents and it wasn't my fault they were undersized and I wasn't, you know, not feeding them. I was actually feeding them uh, very healthy food, but whatever. So, so here we are. We're, um, we're at this bench outside. So he has this long bench outside and he's taken all the stuffed animals and he's put them one after another on this bench. And he's playing with them. He loves them. They're his thing. And they're all lined up on this bench, you know, so you can imagine it. I'm sure if you have autistic people in your life, a line of stuffed toys, okay? Like a line, like usual. Okay, so um, his brother, the one with global retardation, so his brother comes over and thinks it's funny to kick one of his toys. 
And that's just kid play, right? What bothers me in the video is that now I would teach the exact same thing that I taught in that moment. The lessons have hardly shifted because lessons are lessons. You know, I would still go over and say, hey, these are, he loves these. You know, why are you kicking it? What's up? But that's not how I did it, right? I, Excuse me? He loves these. That's not very nice. Why are you being so mean? It was that kind of language. Now, I would not do that now unless I was really pushed by a child and it was the only way to get into their, their hearing. So that would be like a 1%. Instead, and nothing is bad, by the way. It's all usable techniques. So you can use that sternness, but that sternness should be like maybe 1% of your year, really. But instead, it was my modus operandi. It was my MO. It was my way of being clear. So I'm down on my haunches talking to my shorties and, uh, you know, explaining to his brother that it's mean. And, and, and Cash was so adorable, the one that I told it was mean to. He goes over and he puts the toy back and he gives it a gentle kiss. And it was really cute. So it looked successful. If you don't understand what you're seeing, it looks like I know what I'm doing. Because I'm down there, I talk to him about kindness and, and that if Rye loves it, it's as real to him as, as Cash's dog is. But I used harsh talk. At one point I said, um, right at the beginning I think, I said, um, I don't know if this is exact words, but something like, hey, do you want me to kick your dog? Because Cash had a dog that he loved. So right away I'm bringing up like a trauma thought. Now, I could do that anyway, but I don't have to do it with that sternness. I could have got down on my haunches and say, you know, that probably felt to him like it would feel to you if I kicked your dog. Do you hear the difference? Because I know their heart did. Now, a lot of times people will say, yeah, but they're autistic. They, they don't know the difference. You know what? Here's what I believe. And if I give you anything today, it's this gift I'm about to say right now. When you don't clearly comprehend syntax and sentence structure and the perfect pronunciation of everything, you more clearly, more clearly, and more strongly comprehend emotion that's coming at you. So when I did that, I loudly loudly in his heart, maybe not in his ears, maybe not in his face, but in his heart, I very loudly said, I could do something demonic to your dog. Do you hear it? It's these little things. When I, I want you to see Fix It in Five. There's the first families already up. You should go to my website, lynettelouise.com, go to Fix It in Five page, and just click on the links and go to Vimeo. you got to watch. The little things, these little moments, the intention behind what you do changes your sentence structure, changes the emotions on your face, changes the emotion you walk into it with and walk out of it with. 
it changes the results. It's the difference between being human with your kids and being a trainer. And when I was young and had all eight kids, I was human with my teenagers. They were different. They weren't autistic. But I was a trainer of my autistic kids. Fortunately, thank goodness, it never sat well with my heart. I felt the, I felt the incongruence of it. I felt the clashing in my soul. And I kept on bailing on that technique. And slowly, because I would go, you know, nobody's here, no cameras, no human beings. We're not out in the world. Now we can be fun. You know, we'd blast the music. We'd have a good time. And someone would think we were a party house, but we were just a celebrating nobody watching house. And in those moments, I grew. And they grew until those moments overtook the other moments. And the other moments shrunk in time and intensity to the point where I became a loving, joyous mother. But it took a lot of learning. And in the meantime, they grew up. They grew up with that back-and-forth confusion. And so what I would really love to give you is the ability to ditch it now, today. Wherever you're at, whatever your child's age, please go and watch Fix It in Five. And uh, somebody send me that email, mom, four, the number four, evermore, at Juno, J-U-N-O, not Gmail, dot com, and, you know, You'll be the first one in line to see a very violent boy learn that all he, all he ever wanted was somebody to listen to him with a smile on their face and no strong energy. <laughs> and then he was friendly. So, uh, yeah, it's not about training. It's about raising your kids. Really, I, if, I, if I teach you anything ever and share anything ever with you, it's that. The minute it sounds like training, don't do it. I don't care what they call it. It wasn't ABA when I was doing it. It was behavior modification. Don't do it. Because no matter what your child learns, they're learning to not be embraced as a human being. And that takes a lifetime to undo. So that was Stories from the Road and the Great Guest Giveaway. And that was me being haunted by my own reflection. I hope that sharing that... And rather than having a guest and just talking about something else, makes an enormous difference in your life because I've earned every <laughs> every moment of coming to terms with that has been painstaking. So please let me pass it to you. If you need more assistance with that, um, you know, email me, ask questions, but also. Buy my book. I mean, I tell that story. And in fact, if you're way back when, I, my very first book was Jeff, A Sexually Realized Spiritual Odyssey of Stepping into Love. And I wrote that because during that period, I had no income and I had no way to support my children. And I had to do whatever it took. And I told you all about it. And I told you about the frustration and the seeking to love. 
and the letting go of the old abusive style I was raised in and the embracing of the new loving style that has really become who I am and what I share. So if you're feeling like it's too messy in your world for you to make this change, go read that one. You'll say, whew, if she can do it, I can do it. And if you're a little farther along on the spectrum of evolution as a human being, then go ahead and read the next one, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism, because I think that will also serve you well. Um, the research section is a bit old, but it's okay. It's all pretty sound still. And the story and the unfolding and the historical explanations are huge. So please um, partake of the things I've taken the time to make for you, because if I can do anything in this world, it would be past the baton of happiness into your home from mine. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher, host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad, and you've been listening to a new spin on autism, My Answers. Thank you for being here with me, because without you, I would just be talking to myself, and Dar was laying on the bed here, um, smiling, because he loves this confession, right, Dar? Do you want to be on my show? Do you want to say hi to anyone? Yeah. You do? Okay, just say hi. No. From All right, I'm going to translate that. <laughs> he's, he's not so clear for phone, so he's saying hi from friend. All right, everybody, have a great day. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to our Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you. Talking to myself, spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spin-
talking to myself, I can't hear you. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself, I can't hear you. Crazy, but I'm headed into saying I'm going crazy. The sadist, the martyr in me. 